Now this is the way to start the day. Just call me Dipset. Too bad, Sludge. No use for you. Let's slam him, stranger. Why, Tart? He's obsessed with these ultras. We need Gwendor wait on no man. Primeval, attack! Let's force it. And welcome back to the Ultra Monthly Podcast, your premier Ultraverse podcast, the greatest way to start your day. We are your hosts, I am Mark Truix, and with me as always is Mr. Jeff Budd. How you doing, Jeff? Hey, that was a nice intro. (laughs) No shade today, because we're running a high. We're running a high here at the Ultra Monthly Podcast, because listeners, do we have a special treat for you today. Jeff and I had the opportunity to get a sit down with the one and only Dave Ulbrich, publisher of Ultraverse at Malibu Comics. And we're excited to get to share our conversation with you listeners uh, in this very special up close segment with Dave Ulbrich. Dave, thank you so much for joining us here on the Ultra Monthly podcast to get a sit down and talk about the great legacy of Malibu Comics and the Ultraverse could not be more excited to have you here to start things off i'd love to get kind of your origin story if you would how did malibu comics become oh um well it 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 was a bit of a kind of a sleight of hand sort of um i was working as the well we're gonna go even further back than that just to give you some context of how i got there yeah um I was editing Amazing Heroes magazine, which was a sort of a wizard in black and white before there was wizard. Mm-hmm. Um, and my lovely, my lovely wife and I decided to, decided to start a family, and I couldn't make ends meet on the amount that they were paying me to edit Amazing Heroes. So I took a job elsewhere, and that went horribly. So. <laughs> Um, I got fired from that job, so I'm, I'm, I'm basically without a job, but I'd worked two years at sort of my dream job in the comic book business, so I started sending out resumes, and there was a distributor at the time, back in the days when there was lots and lots of comic book distributors, not just Diamond, there were mm-hmm. 10 or 12 of them, Yeah, there was one in Southern California called Sunrise Distribution, and so I sent them a resume, they called me and they hired me, well, that's great, I'm working there six months, and owner calls me in and says, we're having pizza and we just got done with a really long day. And he goes, what would you like to be doing in five years? And I said, well, I've seen the competition <laughs> and I'd like to get back into publishing because I could, I think it can be done better. And I think there's ways to economize and, 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 and build a company that can be profitable, um, even with the sales levels that everybody is seeing. And this was in the middle of that first black and white bust. Mm-hmm. So just post, that would have been right just after Watchmen and Dark Knight came out. So Turtles had gone up, all the crap had come out that that sort of um, crap. I love crap, so don't don't take, that doesn't mean, and, and it's not, it's not <laughs> to denigrate the material. Um, all the other stuff that came out that sort of copied Turtles, all that stuff had come and sort of gone. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, about a week after I said that to him, he called me and he said, okay, if you'll run it, I'll pay for it. 
Nice. All right. So I went home, and I was like, oh, great. Now i got to find a name for this company. Well, naming comic book companies is kind of a tricky deal. And so I'm driving to work, and I had to go back past a, an exit that said Malibu Canyon. Mm-hmm. And I thought, Malibu, hmm, Malibu. It's got about the right number of letters, and it doesn't strike me as stupid. And when I say stupid, I mean there's a lot of stupid comic book company names. Mm-hmm. I always thought innovation was a stupid name because cert- all it does is invite unnecessary criticism, mm-hmm. right? Like if you say best comics, like the first time you put out a shitty comic, they're like, what? That's not a best comic. That's a crappy comic. Like not right? living up to your own standard. Yeah, right. what are they so, innovating? I yeah. mean, first kind of gets away with it a little bit, I think. I think first was a fine name, but I thought innovation, hot, and now, I thought now comics is a terrible name. Um, so I like Malibu because it did a couple of things. One, one, it was about the right number of letters and they were kind of interesting letters. So it would look cool as a logo. Mm -hmm. Um, and it also placed us firmly with just those seven letters, seven letters, six letters, six letters, with just those six letters, it placed us firmly as a Southern California company, Mm -hmm. even though we never had an office in Malibu proper. So all the people that were around us thought we were crazy. But if you're in Baltimore or Tampa Bay or somewhere in Texas or someplace in the Midwest, you you know, Southern California is just Southern California. So Malibu placed us properly there if we were going to be a national business. That's pretty interesting thinking about all these other comic book companies that, yeah, they don't have a very regional kind of shtick to them. But a lot of times when people think of, you know, DC and Marvel, you think New York. At least that's the old school mentality of sure. it. Yeah, yeah. Well, so a long they, time, yeah. they were there for decades and decades and decades. So Yeah, to set up a West Coast, basically, contender for that business, that that's actually pretty genius. That you, well, and then and owning it, that. too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Plus, if we're going to make mo- if we're going to make money from doing business with animation studios and toy companies and... And the movie studios that are in Southern California, if you're named Malibu Comics, they know that they can reasonably go and see you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There's no there's no real question. That's built into the name. Wow. And and that's actually what you guys did a lot at Malibu is having those extra arms and divisions within it. Was that always like the original intention? (laughs) (laughs) We were we were really the publisher that did everything except actually publish a kitchen sink. I mean, we did everything we could possibly think of because we were just the little guys that were trying to get enough sales on enough titles going out the door to keep the lights on and keep the payroll flowing. I mean, that that was it. We just were just trying to stay in business. And so we, so that was 87 when we released our first comic. And you realize that it was, it was until six years later that we launched the Elderverse. So we were constantly moving up in little tiny chunks and bits and pieces for six years before five years before image came along and six years before the Ultraverse came along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I know a, a lot of your guys' early success with Malibu was licensed properties, things like Robotech and um, what deep space nine had a run. Uh, yep. Bruce Lee. Deep, deep space nine was at DC, mortal combat. Yeah. Deep space nine was after image i said i kind of always measure things before and after image because we were a different company once we started publishing spawn that mm-hmm. kind of changed things sure but uh yeah we did we got we worked out a deal with ben dunn to do ninja high school and we did tons and tons and tons of episodes of ninja high school 
Um, Robotech to the Sentinels was a main was a backbone names you know mainstay for us for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, that was their rain or shine and and one of our best titles. Um, we got the rights for a little while to do Captain Harlock, mm-hmm. and that was a pretty big de- a pretty big deal for us. Um, but we were just doing everything we could think of. We were doing newspaper um, newspaper uh, strip reprints. Uh, you know, we did <laughs> the famous in the famous um, uncensored mouse was right around the time that Image was happening. But we did Sherlock Holmes and Charlie Chan and The Shadow and I Love Lucy and Mighty Mouse and just about everything you could anything you could find that was published as a newspaper strip that might be of interest to comic shops we would collect so it was just really we it was seriously just a math problem for us if we got to the point where if we talked about introducing a title we the four of us could literally look at the title look at the contents and know what we were going to sell within a thousand copies and so we just had to make sure we had enough of those enough titles to make our, our, make our bills every month. That was, that was what we were, that's all we were doing. And did you find that a lot of these like licensed properties were avidly looking for a comic book, like to be produced for them? Like Robotech and Ninja High School where people like, because being a new company. Not the stuff we were going after. (laughs) (laughs) Not because the stuff that the, the, the things that um, at the time, the stuff that people were looking to get a comic book series out of. And there was never any money. I mean, that's the other deep, dark secret, right? There was never any real money for the licensing people in comic books. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a offshoot. They would get them and then they'd use those as like calling cards to try to sell other licenses. But there was never any real money in the, in the licensed comics for the license or for the people that owned the property. Um, but those that do that were actively looking for it were going elsewhere to companies that were going to pay them more money up front or give them a bigger chunk a, a bigger percentage um so places like Kamiko and dark horse were typically um the places that got selected um mm-hmm. when, when when that lottery came up generally we couldn't compete with uh with those guys now, I know you were saying how there's almost like two versions of Malibu in your mind where it was the pre-image and post-image. So I know you also had your own you know, superhero universe at the time, like the Genesis, which was like X-Mutants and Protectors and, and Dinosaurs for Hire. And, and in all these books, how did that play along with once Image started coming until ultimately, you know, the Ultraverse had, had to be born, which we're ever right. grateful of? But <laughs> well, the, the, yeah, the, the Genesis stuff that we did was basically a bunch of it was a hodgepodge of stuff that was all like when you're publishing stuff and you're trying to build a brand, the worst thing you can do really to a property and the creators of that property is like release an orphan. Right. Mm-hmm. So you don't want any orphans out there. So you want if I'm going to release dinosaurs for hire, I want. It, at least in the mind of the readers or the mind of the retailers, more importantly, the idea that if they buy this, we're going to advertise those other two other things. So they'll have to carry those as well. Right. And that the readers, if they're interested in this might be interested in other things to go with it. Mm-hmm. So when we did our line of 
um, like public domain property stuff. We did Frankenstein, Dracula, Three Musketeers, all that stuff. That was specifically designed so that those things could sit next to each other on a bookshelf, potentially at a bookstore, and they wouldn't be orphans, right? Like, if you liked one of them, then you could sort of pick up the others. Hmm. So all this stuff has to bounce off each other, and the stuff that was Genesis was very much orphan stuff that we kind of shoved together and tried to make into a thing. Like, we had the protectors. Um, which was really terrific. It was a, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the protectors, but it was a, it was a relaunch of um, comic book characters that were published by Centaur Comics, like in the forties, mm-hmm. actually don't put me on the forties, but that, so long ago that the characters were all public domain. Okay. Right. So what we did was we got briefs on all of them. So we knew we could use them. And then we got some guy to write up history on them. And then we got R.A. Jones to come in and read all these dusty histories of these really bad heroes and said, here, R.A., make a team out of this. (laughs) (laughs) And then we had Jerry Bingham redesign all the characters. Um, And then some of them desperately needed to be renamed. So there was one character that looked great, had great powers, would have made made for a wonder, actually made for a, a, we did a miniseries of it. But the problem was the original character was called the Phantom of the Fair. (laughs) Now, in 1990s, early 1990s comics, that's a bad name for a superhero. Yeah. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So we had we were we were tasked with coming up with a name. And um, I think my suggestion one, and that's the character that became, became Gravestone. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Cool. So, um, but we did an Airman miniseries. We did that famous ferret miniseries where we actually mm-hmm. cut out the yes. first issue. Like, um, we had an issue of the protectors where one of the characters dies and gets shot, and we drilled a hole right through the middle of the comic, so it was right through where the bullet hole would go in the picture on the cover. Yep, and it goes through. Um, every we did all sorts. We did. We did any. Yeah, that's right. We did <laughs> any crazy thing we thought that could draw some attention and get. The whole purpose of doing crazy things for us was to get people to sample the work mm-hmm. because we were competing with Marvel, DC, Eclipse, Kamiko, Dark Horse, better funded, bigger companies um, that had been been around longer. Yeah. Um, so we really had to try to find ways to get readers to try our stuff in the hopes that if they tried it, they would like it and they would keep buying it. So people sometimes misunderstand the the reason for doing the gimmicks, mm-hmm. but that for us, that's what it was. Just did anything I answer, to that, stand did I answer that question at all? I went veering into the tall weeds, didn't I? I'm sorry. No, it's, it's wonderful because reading all these Ultraverse books, I mean, we're constantly seeing the ads for, for some of the other characters. And of course, just oh, whenever sure. you're, you're bin diving and coming across other items, I'm kind of personally picking up any kind of Malibu book now I find <laughs> out there. Well, the it's dinosaur- to hear more about those. Originally dinosaurs for hire was in our first slate of, you know, we started our first books came out in either June or July of 87. And before December, we'd released our first issue of dinosaurs for hire. So it was one of our original titles mm-hmm. and, and we loved it. We thought it was funny and weird and great. And, 
Um, it was written by a staffer and my best friend, Tom Mason. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just loved it. We thought Brian Carson did a great job on it. Eventually, we got really wonderful artists to contribute to it. We had a Paul Galacy cover on one of the trade paperbacks. And, you know, Mitch Bird contributed a bunch of stuff. And it was it was wonderful. So um, the Genesis stuff was just a bunch of stuff that was cobbled together. I So we had the weird protector stuff. Um, we got through various negotiations, the rights to do the ex-mutant stuff, which mm-hmm. got Rosenberg, who owned Malibu, who was one of the, you know, of the four of us that owned Malibu. He'd originally published ex-mutants at the, at the very beginning with Ron Lim. Mm-hmm. And so we got that back and we decided we didn't want to go retread that stuff, but we would, we wanted to see if there's any traction in relaunching it. Because it was a pretty, it was a pretty terrific idea. An entire world populated by mutants, and some scientist figures out how to make those mutants into humans. So this team of humans in this world of mutants—that's why they're ex mutants. <laughs> that that's definitely a fun flip on, on like the, the the standard when people think of mutants nowadays. Where, right, where but it's, it's, like it the makes for a great world, right? So we yeah. had all these outrageous monsters and weird, you know, humanoid characters and all this stuff. And then we had these six of the only humans that existed because <laughs> those are the only ones the professor experimented on. Nice. And beyond that, I know with the coming of Image and you guys were their first publisher uh, for about, what, the first year for them? Yeah, yeah, we got we got... Yeah, almost exactly 12 months out of it, yeah. Before they ultimately went and started their own gig, is that what directly led into wanting to create the Ultraverse, or was the juices kind of already flowing uh, to make a all-inclusive universe at Malibu? You know, it, it started... I mean, our the gestation of the thing started shortly after the image deal started. Um, we've sort of had the feeling that... Mo- image wasn't going to be around for long um and so we just had to figure out what the next thing was going to be but the uh the most horrifying thing about the launch was well first of all did you guys know it wasn't originally called ultraverse the megaverse yeah the megaverse, megaverse. Yeah. look at you you're up on your, your, your <laughs> trivia and then we got a little cease and desist order from palladium books or whoever it was that owned the megaverse and we were like oh no and i remember having a yellow pad just full of potential names. Nice. And we ended up deciding on Ultraverse. And I don't I don't think it was one of the ones that I suggested, but it might have been. It doesn't matter. So did um, Megaverse... You know, and ultimate, ultimately, it's hard to imagine it as anything else now. Right. Uh, did Megaverse ever have a, a logo drafted up? Um, yeah, how far along did you guys get? Probably. It probably did have a logo, yeah. Wouldn't surprise me, yeah. I, I literally don't have any memory of it, but that, that would have been the way we would have worked. Yeah, we did we'd have had some sort of logo emblem to put on all the draft materials and stuff yeah. right away. Yeah. That'd be awesome to see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I couldn't even tell you what it looked like or, or, or anything. It's just lost to the ether. But the best thing about Megaverse was that it started with M just like Malibu. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, yeah. That there was that connection, but um, yeah. So the image guys came along and we had just merged with a video game company, Acme Interactive, which became Malibu Interactive. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to develop some properties that were 
company owned, but we also wanted to make sure that we followed some of the things that had been moving in comics forever, which is, and image sort of exaggerated even further, which is creator participation. Mm -hmm. um, we think it's, I mean, I've always, when we started Malibu, it was all going to be just creator owned stuff. Um, and then that become sort of became untenable, but, um, we uh, we wanted to make this thing so that everybody that participated, certainly in the early portions of the setup process, were not locked out of any future revenue that came in from exploitation. Mm -hmm. Like if you gave us a character, we turned that character into a movie. We wanted to make sure that you got taken care of in in an in a equitable way financially. I think right. that's absolutely wonderful because, I mean. Over the, the length and history of comic books, you always hear these horror stories where uh, sure. creators have been kind of like blocked out of their their properties they put so much into. And something I know Jeff and I have always talked about uh, on The Best Damn Nerd Show, another podcast we do, is constantly like the Bill Finger, Bob Kane uh, debacle over sure. Batman. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Big one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm no... Um, historian on that stuff, but when you start looking at what Bob Kane contributed to Batman and what Bill Finger contributed to Batman, it's really hard to make a case for the fact that Bob Kane gets any credit at all and Bill Finger doesn't get all the credit, frankly. Yeah. Well, and then weird that even either one of them would get credit when you hear some of the other horror stories from the comic <laughs> yeah. book company. It's like, no, it's sure. just a DC property. You're both gone, you know? It's like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, 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 that was one of the things we wrestled with a lot, which is how do you equitably divide up the rights to a character when after 20 issues, you switch writers or you switch artists, and it's that run that makes it a big, giant hit. Right. And it's that run that makes the movie studios interested. How much do you take care of those original guys and how much do you take care of those guys that are sort of responsible for it being big? And that's a pisser of a math problem. I mean, that's yeah. a horrible thing to have to decide. I mean, you become King Solomon dividing up babies at that point. Wow, I've never even, like, thought of that perspective in chopping it up. Because definitely, like, going through and, re and reading different comic runs, there's certain writers you favor over others. And they're not the first guys to touch these characters. Right. <laughs> over and yeah. over. They become yeah, yeah. the well, seminal works of them. Here's something that will surprise you. When we did the, what would be a good example? The Prime video game. Mm -hmm. yeah. The money came in for the Prime video game. We had to cut a small check to Brett Blevins. See? Yeah. And <laughs> yeah was, sorry, that, that name blanks I wish the podcast people could have seen your face just now, Mark. Because <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah. So... The reason we had to cut a check to Brett Blevins is early on in the Malibu setup process, mm -hmm. we had to get the characters designed. Well, a lot of times we needed the character design before we knew who was going to be the regular artist. So the original character design for Prime ended up being done by Brett Blevins. Okay. And that's all and he so did with he Prime. Always got, if, that, if that costume or that design for the character was used and prime didn't really change that much over the history of the didn't change enough to yeah. say brett didn't contribute 
Brett did that character design, so he always got a small check because he designed the character, even though he never drew it, never drew a cover, never drew an interior page. Yeah, because for me, I mean, Norm Brayfogle is a god. Like his artwork oh, on that, and no. and how he built Prime in, in the first series was exquisite. Uh, absolutely stunning. So much. It was so much fun to sit down and talk to Norm because Norm always thought about his stuff in really excruciating detail. I mean, he really, really thought about every, every, every piece of the, of the character. Um, and so you could sit down and he would explain to you how the reason that this particular thing works with prime or that particular thing works with prime is because Kevin uses his imagination to create prime and Kevin's, 13 or 14, whatever we made him. And so this is what happened in Kevin's past that made him think of this. And that's why prime looks like that. I mean, it was, it was astonishing just to listen to him having, he worked it all out before he drew the first page, but he wasn't the first guy we wanted for prime. No, really? Wow. The first artist we tried to get for prime. I actually flew from Los Angeles to England to try to seduce um, Alan Davis into drawing Prime for us. Okay. <laughs> I mean... And, and no. um, Alan couldn't have been nicer, sweetest man, but at the end of the day, I think he was scared off by the fact that it was a new thing, mm -hmm. you know, and an unknown, oh, yeah. and he didn't want to, you know... But his, his excuse still cracks me up, because he looked me right in the eye and said, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm retiring for comics, I'm only going to work for my son's Boy Scout troop now. <laughs> His retirement, I think, lasted four months. Not, not too long. <laughs> I mean, just to just until just until the next just until the next big Marvel job came in. I think. Right. Well, just the, we, we, the we, name we power have been more could have been more blessed to get Norm. Yeah, I mean, in addition to him and just a bunch of the other names, uh, the writers alone that he kicked things off with is testament to kind of like the vision what you guys were going for in creating this where when you guys were publishing image and everything was really art driven you wanted to create something story driven and it seems like you got some pretty top talents to come in and, and make that a reality for you guys at the onset yeah it was it was it was tricky because you wanted to get guys that had some name value because you had to have credibility with the retailers Mm -hmm. And to a lesser extent, the fans. But mostly, you wanted the retailers to feel confident putting it on their shelves for their fans. Yeah. Um, and you had to get guys who sort of understood and wanted to pursue superhero comics, which isn't everybody. And then you had to get, because we were planning on it being so communal, we had to get guys that were interested in playing well in the same sandbox. Mm -hmm. So we had, couldn't have any dilettantes. We couldn't have any rabble rousers. And really, guys with singular vision, not really what we were hoping, not really what we were looking for. But I yeah. think we ended up putting together a really great, really great bunch of guys. Yeah. That, and that, like, all, that all contributed to each other's books and all created to the, contributed to the universe. And the ownership of like the characters and stuff, was that a bit of an allure for everybody as far as like that's something that I would want to be a part of 
knowing yeah, that. Yeah, 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 of course. Um, in some levels, I think they almost took it too seriously because they didn't just adopt them as a writer would adopt any property business as a business owner. They really adopted the characters in the universe emotionally. And there were definitely times we sort of had to say, we understand that you feel strongly about this, but at some level, somebody's got to make a decision. And if you guys disagree, that leaves us to decide. Right. So, but yeah, um, yes. Your the answer to your, your question is yes, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was that like? That that fateful conference in Arizona, uh, where you guys all went out to Scottsdale and sat down for the first time with these minds to say, "All right, it's about collaboration, and we got to build this universe." Yeah, what, you guys what... built a universe. So. <laughs> it's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, well, the trick was we 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 tried to level leverage computers as much as we could the biggest problem at that particular conference was day one chris alm editor-in-chief walks in with his laptop trips on something in the carpeting going into the room smashes his laptop on the ground my god inoperable (laughs) so everything that we did for two days had to be documented by hand (laughs) wow it was but just two up, days. We ended up with a we ended up with a story bible that was like 500, 500, 600 pages long before we were done. Yeah, with all the different aspects and piece, bits and pieces of stuff. That's wild. So, to, for some reason, in my mind, it's like how expansive the story bible is, and how expansive the universe of of the Ultraverse is. It's impressive to think that was only two days. In my mind, it had to have at least been a week. Yeah, oh, were you all like going to notice well, and like came we, in with we, a bunch of I, ideas? I think, I think we built some chicken wire to hang everything on at those two days. Oh. Certainly not everything came out of those days. Mm-hmm. But right. we did come out with a um, we did come out with an idea and we came out of it with I think almost all of the launch characters. I think we had the characters. We didn't know which ones were going to go where necessarily. Mm-hmm. Right. But we had, I know we had Prime, I know we had Hardcase, I know we had Mantra, I know we had The Strangers, I know we had Nightman, um, I know we had Sludge. Nice. I, I, well, the Exiles as a whole, we could, we could do it, we could do an entire hour on the Exiles because that's, I'd love to. Just a, that's just a large <laughs> pile of crazy. And uh, it, one of the great blessings of my life is being able to work with Steve Gerber on that. Um, I'm a huge Exiles fan. That is always, one of the and ones. I, <laughs> and I always and I always loved and I always I always had a, a, a soft spot in my heart for freaks. Um because I loved the concept, I loved the name. I think I came up with the name, so that's maybe why I like it so much. Um Free X? Yeah, the Free X, yeah. <laughs> Can you give me that Free X book? I was like, Oh, is it that hard to say freaks? Is it really hard <laughs> that hard to say freaks? But I thought um trying to take the X-Men and strip it down to its bare essentials and then sort of shove it into the real world. I thought was a fascinating concept. Mm-hmm. And then my buddy, Walter Simonson doing all the character designs. Oh my God. I couldn't have been happier. And nobody bought, nobody drew sweet face as great as, as, as Walter did. The other guys tried, but they just didn't have it in them. Mm-hmm. Sweet face. That, first, really that first cover is hysterical, by the way. I don't know if you've seen the first cover of freaks. Walter just screwed us over hard because he gave us this illustration with no room for the logo at the top. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. 
and then the Three. and then pressure's got this this, bl- this blast glass coming out of her hand and it covers up the x and freaks like <laughs> give me what's give me that on? free comic yeah <laughs> yeah it's 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 some of that stuff's crazy and like we were working with Terry Dotson but Terry Dotson didn't do the cover to to mantra number 1 what the hell well how did how did a thing like that happen I mean, if you look back at it now, it doesn't make any sense. I'm sure it made sense when we did it. Right. Whenever a new book debuts, you imagine it's going to be like a showpiece for who's inside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Cully, Cully Hamner did the first couple of issues of Firearm. And it was just, it was a really wonderful time and, and, and built relationships that we've, um, that I've been able to maintain to this day. Um, and I think, well, here's, here's, here, this will speak to, how long some of the stuff sat on the shelf and how long we were working on it. I think we launched the solution and nightman in the same month. Nope. Back to back. I think nightman and sludge both debuted for October for Halloween. Fitting. That sounds right. Does that yeah. sound right? Yeah. Um, but there was a time I think when we did, we, we launched two books, both with full interiors by Derek Robertson. Now, needless to say, Derek wasn't wasn't a two buck a buck, book a month guy. I love him, and he was putting out great work for the Ultraverse, but it wasn't coming out that fast. Yeah, he is so definitely. What, a I gotta, I gotta ask you: Do you guys have favorite titles that were in the Ultraverse? One that I've discovered since we started doing this podcast, and I never really thought too much of him when I used to watch uh, Ultra Force as a kid, but it was Hard Case. I absolutely love the Hard Case series. Oh, that's but, cool. Yeah, but he seemed like too. As a kid watching Ultra Force, I was like, he's got too much of a stick up his ass, yeah, and he's nope. too much the leader. I was like, I was a prototype guy, that, okay, and, nice. and I love the comics too. But yeah. Hard Case won me over hard. I mean, I'm a huge fan of his. The <laughs> thing that the thing that was the most challenging with Hard Case is we originally had Aaron Lepresti scheduled to draw it, mm-hmm, and right. that would have been epic. And Aaron is so reliable, and the book would have been the book would have just sung and it would have just been this amazing thing. Well, Aaron's got this thing for monsters. And when he found out about sludge, he goes, I don't care if I have to wait till October, the October launch. I want to do that book instead of the one that launches in, in June or July. Yeah. The one that launches in July. Mm-hmm. And the funny story about that is Aaron, of course, did the math and figured out that he, 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 he cost himself like 50,000 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially at the time those first uh, books were debuting, what you're doing like 300,000 copies or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. They, the, 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 the prime hard case and the strangers each broke 250. Yeah. Wow. So 750,000 copies in that first month. That's incredible. That yeah, was nice. Yeah. Definitely growing up. I was a, a fan of prime. And yep. and then Nightman always looked cool, oh, um, yeah. awesome. but since going through and kind of rediscovering all this through the podcast, Firearm is an absolute. See, like, that's knockout. that that's that that was that was the one that was laying in the weeds that almost no one was paying attention to, and if you go back and read it, it almost it almost still holds up. <laughs> yeah, uh, that one's phenomenal. The Exiles is one of my personal favorite. It's almost like a. <laughs> It's like a dirty Exiles dozens. Is, Exiles <laughs> is just madness. Yeah, you know, that's that's when you drink. That that's when you 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 read with a with a shot of whiskey in your hand. That that's pure insanity. Great. Uh, recently, I picked up one of uh, Rob Fitz's pages of um, oh nice of Ghoul when he's smashing in uh, the head of um what's his name like Bloodbath. 
I think it is. Right? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And and it's beautiful, so I have that up here in the office. Uh, <laughs> huge fan of Exile. So you saying you would love to do a whole hour, we'll hold you to it down the road. <laughs> here's, here's a little a little taste of what that might be like. I loved Steve Gerber so much that I let Steve Gerber kill for all time the Exiles, which of the team members I created all those characters except for two. Which two? Tom Tom Mason was mostly responsible for Amber Hunt. Chris Ulm was responsible for Ghoul. And virtually everybody else on the team so they killed and guys. most of the villains <laughs> were, all cre- were all created by me. That's hilarious. <laughs> and I let Steve Gerber kill them dead just for a publishing stunt. <laughs> was that always the original intention on the exiles that they were created to die no but we we did we did settle on i think it was either during the ultraverse conference or shortly thereafter where it was either gerber or um james hudnell said if you want the industry to take this seriously you know we our characters need to stay dead Mm -hmm. um And we need to make, we need to raise the stakes by killing somebody significant early on in the process. And Gerber was never going to make his deadlines on Exiles, no matter what happened, because he couldn't make them on, on, on Sludge. Um, but I think we decided to end it after issue four, maybe like in the afternoon of day two of the Ultra Conference, if not then, within a few weeks after that. Okay. Yeah, but then everybody goes, "How are we going to pull this off?" I said, "Okay, there's only one way to do it. You got to pay for two covers that we're never going to use, right. and then you need to come up with two with two story synopses that we're never going to publish. Because if you don't solicit issue number five, the retailers and the fans who read the retailer stuff are going to know something's up. Mm-hmm. So we basically did the." Walking Dead thing before Walking Dead did it. Yep. Yeah. He said, "Yep, there's going to be an issue five of Exiles. Yes, there's going to be an episode of issue six of Exiles." And we knew all along there wasn't. They were fake story synopses, fake creator listings, covers we were never going to use because we knew that it was ending after issue four. But we wanted to maintain we wanted to maintain the surprise of it for the readers. And the only way to do that was to lie. So we did. Now, Amber Hunt uh, was obviously used further on, and as was Ghoul going into Ultra Force. Yeah, everybody uh, except my characters. Yeah. You notice this? <laughs> I'm just saying, think about that. All the characters in the, in the Exiles who came back, none of them were mine. Now, was that preordained in this Catapult discussion? Catapult didn't come back. Tinsel didn't come back. Oh, Tinsel's Maverick death. didn't come back. Yeah. Oh, my God. I just, oh. You know, Deadeye wasn't dead, though. He just, like, ran away. He could have always came back. <laughs> yeah, we had a couple runaway. There was some like uh, hospitalizations. There's a... <laughs> yeah, not everyone had to die. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, yeah. but was that always so the plan with Ghoul to have him come back into Ultra Force down the road, or was that kind of picked up later? We actually had an in-house contest amongst all the founders to write a pitch for what Ultra Force was going to be. Mm-hmm. I wrote a pitch, and Tom wrote a pitch, and obviously Jer- Jerry Jones wrote a pitch, and you know a bunch of other people pitched what they thought Ultra Force could be. 
Um, my pitch was that Ultra Force was going to be more like Marvel's Exiles, where characters from the Ultraverse, whether in the past or the present, mm-hmm. could join the team sort of in in sort of a, more of a non-team kind of fashion, but they would be bound by um, circumstance, sort of bopping throughout other universes. So Ultra Force wouldn't be native to the Ultraverse. Does that make sense? It would be off in other side dimensions. It's like sliders. So, yeah, kind of. So that <laughs> yeah. so the characters could all zip out, do a mission in a weird thing, and basically zip back, and it would be a minute or two later or something. Nice. That so would have been cool. It was cool. a way to, was way to have a super titles. team and have some adventures, but never have to worry about screwing with their continuity right. of, of the ongoing characters, right? Especially with the yeah. continuity you guys were building issue to right. issue yeah very tight yeah i want to yeah. I, I really want i mean my pitch was to have ultra ultra force it only do like missions in pocket universes and that kind of thing yeah now was ultra force uh, as you were saying everyone's doing different pitches was it already designed as a team or was everyone's pitch including their own like handful of characters that they wanted to put into a super team Oh, no, it, the pitch included which team members you would pick from the Ultraverse to use, and if you were going to introduce new characters, what they're, what those characters would be and where they would come from and the whole shebang, yeah. Okay. I mean, the idea was to create a Justice League or Avengers kind, mm-hmm. of, kind of team for the Ultraverse, for sure. Do you remember who was and on your Ultraverse? Of course, we got egged on by the fact that that would be an easier way to sell an animation and it would also be an easier way to sell toys sure and ultimately so. did both <laughs> yeah right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah no, it, all, it all worked out all that part of it all worked out pretty well <laughs> i've still got well, i've got a i've got an ultraverse topaz on the wall over here nice. and i know i've got ghoul and i think i got a prototype up there yep so yeah i got a, a bin of of one of each and then just trying to find some 504s, the ever-elusive sure. 504s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Uh, do you remember who was on your Ultra Force team that you pitched? I guarantee you that I grabbed some of the exiles from death. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's for sure. Um, it, it, I don't think I included Hard Case, and I don't think I included Mantra, but it was definitely Prime and Prototype, mm-hmm. and... Uh, probably included hard case because that made sense, but I, I don't I don't remember for sure. But I know that it, it didn't include Ghoul. Um, but I did grab a couple of because I could grab people from the past mm-hmm. because of the way the pitch worked. Um, I could take guys you know just before they died and take them into the team, and they could go off and have this adventure. And then I thought you could build some pathos into that too, right? Do you, when they come back. Do you send that guy back to die? Right. <laughs> or do you send him somewhere else? So I thought I thought that all could be kind of interesting. But yeah, I think I I think I tried to bring in catapult, um, probably and tinsel maybe. Oh wow. Did you have a set favorite from the Exiles team? I I, I think catapult's a great character. I love his I, surfer I, bro I, mentality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I and I, I've just never seen sort of that power set before. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Because so it's like a you, what you, a kinetic... you see people that are super strong, yeah. but he doesn't really. He's not really strong, but he can get objects that he hangs onto to sort of defy gravity by hanging onto them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he can propel them. But the weight of it could also crush him because he doesn't have special bones or anything. So he always had this like weird exoskeleton. I don't know. I thought it's kind of cool. Yeah, because ultimately he's not super strength like you're saying, and and that's how I think he met his demise. Right, the tsunami knocked him and like broke his yep. back on a <laughs> like on a yeah. rooftop or something. Yeah, yeah, his, his, his exoskeleton didn't 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 protect his spine well enough. Yeah, sad, <laughs> super sad. <laughs> it's always something. It's never what you think it's gonna be. Uh, something we wanted to ask you about the Arizona conferences. We've talked about the success stories. Do you remember anybody who was left on the cutting room floor, didn't make it to publishing that you kind of wish did a particular character or even villain? We haven't really talked about the villains. We were, we were, we were pretty inclusive. There were a whole crap load of characters that maybe only made one appearance or didn't really appear at all, but appeared in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm egocentric, I really only remember the characters I created that didn't make it. <laughs> We'd right. love to know um, that too. There, there <laughs> yeah, was, that's fine. There was a, a a a brother team we called the Bash Brothers, I believe. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And the Bash Brothers deal was, um, what if you only got physical gratification from violence, but they were also twins? So they would beat the shit out of each other, and then they'd go beat up somebody else. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. They... And so I, I, I thought there was something there. I'm not sure what I thought was there because I don't see it now anymore. But I thought that was kind of fun yeah. at the time. Yeah, I know they came in. I, I, I forget if it was issue 11 or issue 12 of Sludge, but they were. Oh, st- did, they did get used. Yeah, they ultimately yeah. got used to start on this we've got brand new card. adventure, and then obviously we never saw how that finished. Uh, right, <laughs> like they're which is a great character to combo with when you're talking about the physicality of of the Bash Brothers and going against you know the Muck Monster. Uh, right, yeah, I would have loved to see how that ultimately carried through and seen them develop because they were like super I, smart I, I too. I would have liked to see Nightman take on Slayer at some point. I think that could have been kind of interesting um, because they have a very similar power set. Yep, like yeah. they're both clairvoyance. They both have a sense of, of who's going to do evil and so they have this ability to prevent crimes from happening obviously that causes its own set of moral dilemmas but it would right. have been and but nightman sort of had like more resources <laughs> and you know slayer was just one step above being ragman right mm-hmm. so yeah. i think that could have been a real interesting thing but they turned nightman sort of more toward horror stuff so he was fighting a lot of werewolves and that kind of thing yep but which was cool as hell though <laughs> yeah well yeah kyle Hotes kicked it out of, out of the park that stuff is really neat to look at for sure yeah yeah slayer definitely seemed like you guys had an intention to make him a big player i want to say in the first trading card set he had at least three cards did he really on his own yeah oh, including awesome. one of the chases and i know the bash brothers did too um and then of course he popped into i think every card set but ultimately only showed up in wrath issue three i believe it was enter slayer <laughs> yeah. popped in did a quick yeah. battle on a rooftop popped out never like learned anything about him yeah that 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 sounds about right and, and let's talk for a second about how cool the strangers were oh yeah i mean 
We had we had a character called Lady Killer, which made no sense. Electrocute, <laughs> electrocute, really? We had a character called Electrocute. What's wrong with us? She was a us? boy toy. Yeah, I know. A... <laughs> and, and 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 but the best character name in the whole Ultraverse. Anybody want to guess what my favorite character name in the whole Ultraverse is? Adam Zip Bob. Zap. Adam Bob. Oh, yes. Are you Adam kidding Bob. me? That's Mark's favorite too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's not my ultimately my favorite character, but it's the best character name in the whole thing. It's just, just, just every time I think about Adam Bob, it just makes me happy. I smile. Yeah, <laughs> his was one of the first. Uh, I think it was from the Masterpiece series, the series three cards. I had yep. uh, one of that card uh, growing up, and I never had the whole series. It was like just from Master Series that one. <laughs> and I was like, just Adam Bob's one, really good. Never read Adam anything Bob about him. Card. I was like, Adam Bob, this guy's awesome. <laughs> He is awesome. <laughs> yeah, but The Strangers was terrific, and, and Engelhart was able to keep all that stuff consistent, even when we messed with him with major events. And it was it, it just had this really great through line. And, you know, um, as long as we could keep Rick Holberg on the book, it had this really great consistent art team. And it, it, was, it was really fun. Um, you know, Zip Zap, right? The, yeah. the Speedster. So yeah, no, it was it was real. It was terrific, and how they sort of overlapped with the nightmare. The, the, the strangers of the nightman had the same origin, mm-hmm. but yeah, with the, the they, they didn't end up yeah. like he was like, I'm not joining any fucking team. Not <laughs> here. The other ones were like, Oh no, I gotta be on a team. Yeah, I, so, I know with yeah. the strangers, the accident I believe was 59 people on the cable car uh, to create yeah, this jump start. Right. Uh, was all 59 pre-mapped out at this conference, or ultimately did you guys already know who those 59 would be? <laughs> we we didn't know, but I would be willing to bet you three whole dollars that Steve Engelhardt had a list of all 59 of those people's <laughs> names and what their powers were and what was what their story was going to be, if, if I was a betting man. Because yeah. I know like a couple pop up here and there, and I'd love to try to like go through someday and, and catalog them down trying to count myself. Yeah. Sure. Cause I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was a nightman issue where he goes up against chalk, where it was this guy that got killed and he was just the outline of chalk, the chalk in, in three yeah. dimension, almost like a, like a spectral, uh, well, not yeah, spectral, yeah, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> a specter. No, but, but we, we, we did that, that kind of cool stuff a lot. Think about the two parter in prime where he fought mega man. Yeah. And how great was that? Where, Norm's doing all this realistic stuff, and there's Prime, who's basically a construct of a boy's imagination, fighting a cartoon character come to life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it was amazing, and I, I actually have the two-page spread here somewhere. Actually, I own the two-page spread where the the cartoon villain is coming over the like coming into the playground and and primes in the foreground and it's like a double page spread it's yeah just i love that stuff those were fun like kind of mini crossover like concepts like that where you are seeing you know the animated a uh, like a looney tune almost popping in like sure. with wiley was a wily wolf in the mantra series where it was like yeah, a demon yeah, possessed yeah. cartoon yeah yeah and and um oh it was in my head a second ago and now it's gone um I don't know. Keep going. It'll come back to me, maybe, or if it doesn't, it wasn't important. But yeah, <laughs> uh, during the the Ultra Conference, who did you guys think was going to be 
the breakout star of the Ultraverse. When it was coming together, like you put piecing it all there, like this is going to be our Superman or our Batman. Did you guys have well, a Well, clearly, clearly, clearly it was Prime. Yeah. Right. Because he was the first, it was the first book launched. And whenever we had to default to an image, if we were just talking about the Ultraverse by itself, it was always Prime. Mm -hmm. And that's why even before we knew who was going to draw it, they paid to fly me to England to try to get somebody really big to draw it. Because we thought we really had something with Prime by taking the whole Captain Marvel thing, flipping it on its head and bashing its skull in. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I just think Prime is a really special property. And um, yeah, and I, I, I think even with all of the antecedents already in movies, you could still do something really cool with Prime. Yes, completely agree. Uh, again, mentioned personal favorite of mine, and I loved all the different like ways in he was playing with his his supporting cast, like his his girlfriend Kelly. <laughs> oh, yep. she's like this guy's into me. It's really weird. This is older dude. Kind <laughs> of, it's kind of gross. <laughs> I don't like guys with too many muscles. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Which is which is I don't understand why Kevin wouldn't like make himself like what she wanted more, but you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but then that was so great about Kevin in that era that, you know, it's like he just knows like Arnold Schwarzenegger movies and like Prime going to Muscle Beach and he's just like, This is what yeah. a man looks like, you know? Yeah, it's... and then he get and then he decides that he, he's not gonna be Mr. Goody Two Shoes anymore and his costume changes and he gets all the spikes and he becomes like, you know, angry, mm -hmm. bad image comic Angsty Prime. Prime. Yeah. yeah. Yep. When he gets inspired by that, uh, was great. that was great stuff. Alex Swan, Alex so he Juan. gets a scar of his own to match fire. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> really good to see how his imagination ran wild with it. <laughs> oh, so, Comic Book Resources, uh, a, 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 probably a few years ago, did a list of the 15 things that we still miss about the Ultraverse, mm -hmm. and number one was Ellen Swan. Yeah. Ellen yeah, Swan. right. Hey, the, I'm glad you girl, got a happy the girl, ending. The, the, the girl that Alec ultimately married with the little wings. And, yeah, the little wings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that issue where they're basically the whole issue is them sitting on the edge of a rooftop just talking. Yep. That's a great comic book. I don't care what anybody says. It, I was so proud. To, I was so proud to publish that. that was but uh, yeah, they had they had Ellen Swan at number one. Prime at two and Firearm at three. So it says a little bit about how, in retrospect, Firearm holds up. But Firearm had the problem that the solution had early and Hardcase had the whole time, which was we had a hard time really getting an artist to that wanted to identify themselves with the book. Mm-hmm. So we always struggled to get regular artists on those books, and I think it hurt, ultimately. I don't think it hurt the stories, because I think the writers were still turning in um, the stuff that they would have turned in otherwise. And it was pretty good stuff, but I think the erratic nature of the art didn't serve the book's sales very well. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to hop over to talk about some of the other divisions that you guys had set up within oh God, okay. comics you know because <laughs> you guys did other media like uh movies film you know with with concept in there uh the video games ultimately going animated all these natures of it but uh 
firearm the movie. I mean, you were a star, right? I police was. officer number four. I was police officer. Police officer David. <laughs> I'm telling you, ma'am, <laughs> we are doing all we can to arrest that. Yeah, they didn't even have a mic on me. I'm just like wagging my finger at this poor woman, poor old actress. Um, well, what, what was yeah, it no, like it was, putting that together and then, of course, being a part of that project? Well, we sort of knew, well, it was a combination of things. We came across like a three-man team that was producing some video content locally that we really liked and they liked us. And we went to the money guys and said, can we put these guys on some kind of retainer or some kind of payroll? And that was right about the time the launch was happening. So I don't know if you remember, but when we did the launch and most of this stuff is lost now, I don't even know where it is. We had this three man team that was following us. They went, came to the ultra conference, the, the ultra sales conference. You guys heard about that, right? Yeah, For like distributors and retailers. Right. right, Yeah. Yeah. We did right here in West. We did right. It was just a few miles down the street from the office. And um, we invited retailers and distributors and just about anybody that was going to help us sell this thing to the industry to come and, and play and hang out and have the thing explained to them and ask questions and, and even maybe make suggestions that we could reroute certain marketing things and and move some stuff around to make things work better. And we did end up taking a bunch of their um, advice, but the most important, the important part about the story that intersects with what you're talking about is that three-man team recorded the whole thing. I mean, every time a creator would walk into the room, they'd grab him, take him into a room, and they'd have a two-camera set on him, and they'd ask him a bunch of questions, and then they'd release him into the wild. (laughs) So we had all this footage of all the creators and all the founders talking about the Ultraverse, and then we took that footage to San Diego that year, and we set up a little viewing room for the trade show, so retailers would have to come by and go, I'm here for my 2 o'clock viewing, and they'd go into this little theater that had, like, it couldn't have had 20 seats, 15 seats, maybe, maybe 20 seats, maybe. Mm-hmm. And we showed them this video that the rest of the room couldn't see. That was basically all of our guys talking about how great the Ultraverse was going to be. Nice. It was, it was, it was really fun, but we had these film guys and they wanted to do more stuff. And so we already had them, right. And we were already paying them. So what else are we going to produce that you guys can how else can we make value out of these film guys that we've got the Malibu film division, mm-hmm. if you will. Right. So that's why we did the hard case trailer. And then we also did the, um, the firearm zero, um, mini movie. Yep. And so Darren Doan, was he part of that, that trio? Yeah. Darren don't. Well, yeah. The cool thing is, um, one of the guys, I don't know what happened to him, but Darren Doan, um, ended up, getting a Razzie award two years ago for doing a Kurt Cameron film that uh, Kurt Cameron saves was Christmas par- was a par- was apparently very bad. Yeah. But Darren <laughs> both directed and starred. It was co-star. He played like the sidekick. Um, <laughs> but the third guy, so the guy I don't remember. And then there was Darren. And then there was the other guy, um, Ken Dario. Mm-hmm. Ken Dario created bubble boy. Ken Dario and Marco and and what's his, uh, his writing partner named Cinco Paul created Despicable Me. Oh wow! Ken wow. Dario is responsible for the 
goddamn little yellow guys. What are they called? The minions? minions. Yeah. How cool is that? That's a awesome. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he started out He's in everywhere. Malibu. He started the Malibu Film Department. Very nice. What was uh, that that trailer you guys did for Hard Case? Uh, pulling a name like Gary Daniels at the time. Uh, he was he was a personal. He'd worked out of other film with Darren. They just brought their friends in. Okay. Well, yeah. Oh, you remember awesome. The t- you remember the TV commercials, right? Obviously, they filmed yeah. those as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. You know, one of those guys was a semi regular on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, right? No. One of those one, two guys. One of the, the two like older yeah, TV guys. Yeah. One of those two yeah. knuckleheads, yeah. right? One of the two knuckleheads was actually the gay football player on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He was a recurring character. wasn't a, wasn't a regular, but he'd show up. He showed up. I don't know, four or five times, maybe six or seven times. I don't know. He showed up irregularly um, in the first like three seasons. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. When Firearm Zero came out, being the the VHS combo with the comic, was that pretty well received at the time? Like, did that actually get met with success? Well, um, it didn't pay for itself. Okay. <laughs> if that's what you're asking. Um, it didn't pay for itself, but we thought it was well worth it because it would show what the possibilities of doing our characters in film, mm-hmm. like how how the universe could be translated into live action. Mm-hmm. We thought yeah. that was valuable. Um, and nobody had ever done it before. And we were really, like I said, we were desperately trying to do whatever we could to get people to sample our stuff and, and do things that hadn't been done before. Um, and that's sort of really the whole genesis behind that. It's like, okay, we got a film department. What can we use them for? Oh, we could make a prequel to, to firearm number one. Okay. That's going to work because, um, firearm is grounded enough that you don't have to have a lot of special effects. You can do it reasonably within the, the budget that we had. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, easy to and, and it doesn't get in the way of the story because it's not a continuation. It's going to be a prequel. Um, so it all sort of dovetailed together and the retailers and the distributors seemed to love it, but you know, it was, a, it was ex- certainly an expensive undertaking. Yeah. I, mean, I think it was just such a unique ap- approach to the property. And that's sure. something you guys continue to do time and again was different, unique concepts on, I'm mean, just commercial ads in general <laughs> for, for comic books. All these things were really innovative and seeing firearm zero in that fashion is highly enjoyable and that's why i was just wondering if that was the idea to hopefully do more of those down the road because i know after it was maybe another what year and a half before well, well, marvel came into the mix something like that yeah right. there, there was just no way to there was just no way to monetize it the direct market wasn't anxious for more vhs types to go through mm-hmm. them and we didn't yeah. sell enough of the number ones to make the money work um, so it was definitely an advertising promotional item, mm-hmm. um, that we put on the marketing budget. Um, so we're, we're certainly glad we did it. it. It accomplished everything we wanted to accomplish, but there was no plans to make it its own program in any way because there was no way to monetize it. Mm-hmm. And obviously you, you, you got it, That stuff's got to pay its own way at some point. Right. Right. And I know the idea was hopefully to develop these characters uh, into bigger, better, you know, maybe movies. I mean, because at this point, of course, you know, exactly. Batman, Tim Burton's are 
all the rage uh, coming off of a bunch of the Christopher Reeves, uh, Superman and, and so forth. Was there ever any development or rather talks avidly happening about translating some of these characters to movie properties? Because I know that's what oh, some yeah. of these videos Universal, were for. Universal had an option on Prime for a long time. Oh. They took an, they, Universal took an option on Prime pretty early in the process, actually, and um, renewed it at least once. Wow. Okay. So it just never, never, I mean, like with most options, they just expire because somebody goes, yeah, I'll give you this amount of money. Give me a chance to go sell it or put together a package that's going to become a movie. And that's that's never an easy prospect. If Prime would have translated onto the big screen, who do you think they would have tapped to put in? Ooh, in 1990, <laughs> probably in, it would have been around 94, 95 by the time that would have happened. Who would have been in the, who would have been the bodybuilder? Yeek, I don't even know who that was in the bodybuilding world back then. Um, it's like Dolph Lundgren. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't wear a mask. So that would make it hard. I was going to say, you know, maybe look at the wrestling world or something maybe oh maybe for for the you know for the for the character after he's pumped up i think that would have been really the problem the 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 hang up probably with prime is the budget to make the hero look right Mm -hmm. yeah mid 90s i think think that would have been i think that would have been the hardest thing i mean even even now i mean look at how zachary look levi looked in the you know playing shazam that was a hard sell um, I think the movie turned out fine. I personally hate the end, but that's just me. Uh, it's well, a perfectly fine movie. Um, well rushed in with the but, family, but it it, it <laughs> yeah. didn't because the the way they had him costumed only worked because of the tone of the film. So if the tone of Prime would have been anything different than that, even in that context, Prime would have been hard to visualize. I think. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. Nightman was an easier make, although the TV show's awful. Um, <laughs> Firearm would have been a, Firearm would have been amazing because you could keep the villains, the superpowered villains, you know, off screen for most of the movie. Mm-hmm. So that would reduce them about a budget, but you'd still have to have because I mean, basically, he took on gumshoe noir cases that. Um, surrounded that was uh, surrounded ultras. So ultimately, you'd have to have a villain with powers for him to beat. Yeah, but you could keep you could have keep could could have kept him off camera at least to, through the through the first half of the movie while he gumshoes his way through the mystery. Um, and I think you might, well now freaks wouldn't work either. Just too much too much CGI, and back then CGI was way Awful. more expensive and looked a lot worse than it does now. Yeah, yeah, I know. Production quality has just grown by leaps and bounds, like every day. Oh my god, isn't it? Isn't it amazing? It's like a, an embarrassment of riches for geeks like us. <laughs> so, the the Nightman show, you you brought it up. Uh, this month is actually uh, Matt McComb's birthday. He turns uh, fifty eight years young uh, here wow. in August. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> I know that came out obviously later uh, under the the Marvel acquisition and. They even, I think, call it from Marvel Studios or Marvel Television Probably. Productions. Um, well, look yeah, what they did with they the did. Men, look what they did with the Men in Black, right? Mm-hmm. The first one, the first one, I think, the first one, I think, says Marvel, even though 
it came from us. And yeah. then somebody somewhere threw a fit because by the time number two comes out, it says Malibu. And at that point, Malibu didn't even really exist. So it's all very weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How did you, uh, what were your thoughts of when you first heard that Nightman was being developed into a live action series for television? Well, see, this is, this is, this is where Dave takes off his geek hat and puts on his business hat. Um, at that point we were so in trouble money wise. All I was thinking was how much are they paying us? How much are they paying for this? (laughs) You know, did the check, did the check clear, you know, are they behind to us? I mean, it was all about just trying to lay off the fewest number of people at that point. Unfortunately, because mm-hmm. it was I really, I really didn't spend, unfortunately, spend a lot of time watching the Nightman TV show, just because I was so sad about what was happening yeah. with the Ultraverse, and 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 my career, frankly. Because <laughs> yeah, the the Marvel acquisition was later in '94. Is that correct? Like when the merger was starting to take hold? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. Uh, and then, were you? That sounds right. Did you stay on with Malibu post that transition and Black September and and development of of the books and content there? Because I think the last book was published probably in like ninety seven, sometime, and then the Nightman show was I think ninety eight. So were you still? Well, yeah, see, I have my other screen here. I have a a, a timeline. Nineteen Titan. Nineteen ninety two. The Ultraverse founders meet. 93, we launched the Ultraverse, and here's something we didn't talk about. Dark Horse was launching World's Comics Greatest World at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we had a plan to launch in, I think, October, and we had to move it back four months. Wow. Four or five months. We had to launch five, four or five months earlier than we'd planned, so we really had to scramble. <laughs> the good yeah. news is when we when we came out, we just crushed Comics Greatest World. <laughs> none, none of that stuff none of that stuff survives today and the only t- title they got out of it that was worth a crap was ghost <laughs> um 1994 that's when everything that's when the 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 crap hit the fan that's the that it's the note here says january more than a thousand comic shops closed Oof. ouch yeah 94 was also when rune number one outsold batman young blood and x-factor Wow. Impressive. Um, November 94 is when Marvel bought Malibu. Okay. And then 95 is when the Infinity Issues in Black September comes out. And then in in a little red band, it says here, 1996, Malibu Ultraverse dies quietly. (laughs) (laughs) How many? uh... That's that's sort of the timeline. Um, Yeah. After the after the Malibu after the Marvel purchase, um, they were scrambling to figure out what to do with all the people, and we were alternately treated very very well and very very badly, depending on the Marvel um, person you were talking to at the time. Mm-hmm. So there were people that treated us very nicely and very well, and people that I remain friends with to this day, mm-hmm. and there are a small number of people I'll never forget. Um, but the pro the biggest problem was that it was an edict that came down from on high, mm-hmm. right? So the wall street guys said, go buy Malibu because we can't let DC have Malibu because if DC gets Malibu, Malibu and DC together will have more market share than Marvel. 
and we can't go around trying to raise money and save us from bankruptcy saying that we're the number two comic publisher. Interesting. We have to be the number one comic publisher. Was there a bidding war then between DC and Marvel, or was Marvel able to just swoop in? Um, well, Marvel did have to beat DC's bid, so I guess at some level there was a bidding war. But it, it, <laughs> and DC it, is just it, like, it didn't last long. Well, you got to understand, we were circling the drain at that point, right? Right. Yeah. So as our fail, as so we entered into due diligence with DC and and Warner Brothers, and every month that went by their bid for us would go down because our value would go down because our sales kept crashing. Right. Because we kept losing stores. And I mean, the industry was just getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Comic book. Um, was interesting. Yeah. And so Terry Stewart calls me up and says, I understand you're negotiating with DCs a done deal yet. And I said, well, no, it's not done yet, but I had spent every day for like three months on the phone with their lead attorney. She and I got to be very close, as a matter of fact. You talk to the same person on the phone every day, you start to, you know, start to like them. Well, usually. Um, Anyway. Hopefully. Right. And I said, no, it's not a done deal. Would you like to talk to somebody that could talk to you about that? And Terry said, yes. And I patched him over to Scott. And that was that. that. Okay. So Marvel came in and... um, Gave us more, way more money than more, than DC would have, Warner Brothers would have, um, and we even we were even able to, even though we had investors we had to pay off and a whole bunch of other debts that we had to pay off, we even were able to carve out a portion of the payout to give giant giant checks, relatively large checks at the time, to longtime employees that weren't actually owners. That's you know, if you'd been with the company, if you'd been with the company four or five years, we wanted to say thanks if we're going to sell this thing off, and we did. That's awesome. And I'm very, I'm very, very, very proud of that. That's a last move, yeah, yeah. Especially as you guys have always had that history of you know valuing the creators and the people putting in the work there. That's just awesome to hear. That's something that I doubt <laughs> a lot of these big companies are going to be doing. I was going to say it's uh, Marvel, mo- uh, Marvel money being used for good. For here, 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 here's a here's a story that has not been told very many places ever, and I'll I'll give it to you guys because you're you're so nice to compliment me on the, on that particular portion of the story. Um, the negotiations were ongoing, and they were getting close, and. Our investors, Malibu's investors, not from the Marvel side, came in and wanted to take, basically completely delete that pool of money that was going to go to the employees. Mm-hmm. They were just going to wipe it out and take it for themselves. Oh, God. And um, Tom Mason, who was one of the four founding, founders of, of Malibu, and me, and Chris Alm, the editor-in-chief, was also one of the four founders, we left. And we said, we're leaving the office. We're not coming into work today. If you don't fix this, we are going to screw this up so that Marvel can't, won't buy you and you won't get anything. Wow. <laughs> and so we just left, got in our car, drove down to Malibu, wandered through some bookstores. And we kept going, well, I wonder what's happening back at the <laughs> office. <laughs> oh, man. And the weird, I have the weirdest memory of that day. Cause it was just so odd. It was like, 
we're, we're doing this thing and we know we're doing the right thing, but we don't have any idea how it's turning out. And we didn't have, it was before cell phones. So you couldn't really call anybody. So yeah. you're just wandering around. And so we're in a bookstore in Malibu, the actual town of Malibu. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the actor, James Whitmore is walking through the aisles in his pajamas. <laughs> shopping for books i don't know that's that, that's the one memory that says stuck with me for some reason is that that day we're, we're shopping for books and there's james whitmore in his, in his in his jammies out shopping for books that's great that you stuck to yeah. your guns on it and it i mean ultimately it worked, it, out. It worked out for the malibu family uh the extended family yep. yeah. were, which is at least a, yeah. a good cherry <laughs> and some and, and some of the some of the credit certainly belongs with Scott Rosenberg because he's the one that put in all the money. Whenever we needed money that we didn't have, Scott did that. And in great capitalist fashion, that kind of capital usually buys you a lot more than I think you, most people deserve. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a laborer, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I, it was always Scott's intention for Tom and Chris and I to be to get quote unquote what they call sweat equity. Mm -hmm. You guys are familiar with the term. Yep. Okay. Yep. So we were supposed to get sweat equity, but the truth is on paper, Scott could have screwed us. Mm -hmm. Cause it wasn't, you written know, in. <laughs> well, it was written, but it wasn't written in a way that, you know, necessarily was going to, and Scott stuck to his guns too. Um, when we weren't there. And so, I mean, yeah, we could have killed the deal. Um, but ultimately everybody came to their senses and everybody got big checks. Nice. So. nice. Now, once that transition happened, I know of course, of course, you can only spend it once. And if you lose your job, right. <laughs> well, you know, I'll go to yeah. the store with that money. Right. So. I know, uh, Scott went over to Marvel at the time, and then became one of the B VPs there. Uh, did, how long did you <laughs> stay? How long yourself that, did that's, you stay? Well, that's on? funny. <laughs> Well, right after it happened, um, then the Heroes World thing happened. Mm -hmm. So Tom got on assigned to one hit squad. I got assigned to a different hit squad. And there was about five people to a squad. We were flying all over the country meeting with retailers at, in big ballrooms at hotels, trying to convince them how great the Heroes World deal was going to be for them. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the first things we got to do. And then shortly after that was over, they said, okay... Now that we have Heroes World, Dave, you need to go fly around the country and scout and negotiate um, warehouses for Heroes World to rent so that we can set up this big distribution system. So I did that, and they said, yeah. And I got back from that trip and submitted all my reports and got everything all lined up. They said, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. And then I got demoted to director of special projects. One, one, one Marvel employee who will go unnamed said to me, well, Marvel doesn't have a publisher. Why does Malibu need a publisher? Uh, all right, thanks. Appreciate that. That sort of diminishes my contributions over, you know, 10 years. Wow. Um, so I became the director of special projects, and I just sat in a big room, and I got demoted out of the bullpen, which was weird. Um, and then I just sat in this room for six months till they fired me and gave me a year's pension, a year's severance. So then I just took, I did negotiate to take possession of all the contents of my office. So everything that was in my Malibu office, I got to take home with me. Hmm. So that means computer equipment, file cabinets, bookcases. Right. So I got, I got that. But, um, 
And then I just went home and, and um, tried to develop whatever the next thing I was going to do for the next year. And I got so stir crazy, I, about nine months in, I actually negotiated to take less money to get out of the no compete. So, Oh, wow. How long was the original no compete? It was the full year that they were going to pay me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if they're paying me, and they were paying me my full salary, so. Yeah. But, but boy, sit on your after, hands. After, after, after going through the grinder of and all the horribleness that was the last 18 months of my Malibu experience, um, I felt like I really did need the better part of that year to to decompress and, and mm-hmm. try to get my head straight. I'm not sure that I ever really did, but I, I certainly, I certainly used up a lot of that time and, yeah, you know, they were, they gave me a pretty generous se- uh, severance, but one of the, one of my fondest memories is when I was still working there, I would, they'd fly me to New York to meet with the marketing people and, and court. I was supposedly the West coast coordinator for Malibu. So I would fly to New York. I'd spend a week and, stay in a hotel and I'd hang out with the Marvel editors and marketing people. And we had fun. It was that part, that part of it was great. Go to, go to a show and drink beer and, you know, <laughs> all the stuff, all the stuff men do. I went to a show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, no, I love, I love Manhattan. I, I loved flying there every, you know, three or four weeks and hanging out, but that didn't last long. Yeah. And so around the time then of, of your, departure it couldn't have been much longer before ultraverse at marvel ultimately closed up as well right yeah well it was it was it was it was definitely coughing up blood the whole way and tom and chris i think were only there another four months after they got rid of me they voluntarily took a powder and went and set up their own little writing creative ip shop yeah so it's crazy that 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 happened at that time, and then somehow still Nightman the TV series. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. But it shows how long it takes to develop that stuff. But um, some people forget um, Alan Payne worked at Malibu, was at IDW for years. Was well, he started he, after he left us. He went to Tokyo Pop, then he went to uh, um, Dynamite, then he went to IDW, and Mac, you know he's back at Dynamite. So. We picked him as a guy that was a retail store manager. He wasn't even an owner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, lots of guys came through the Malibu, you know, system and went on to really great things. I mean, Ross Rickey, who runs Boom Studios, was in our marketing department. Mm-hmm. Um, who else? Mark Paniccia, obviously, was an editor for us. He's been an editor at Marvel forever. Lots of good legacy you know, he, still. He, he left us. He set up Flypaper Press. Then I think he went to Tokyo Pop for a little while. Been a, got a job at Marvel. Now I think he's been at Marvel for twenty years or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was the guy. Was I mean, he was the editor responsible for Planet Hulk. So oh. you know, yeah. we did okay. Yeah, good contributions that continue to have weight. Yeah, <laughs> out there. Yeah. yeah. You're saying the Ultraverse has key allies in all of uh, the important <laughs> places right. in the industry. Now, now. extended our tentacles into all. You just don't know. You just don't know how far our tentacles go. That's right. Ultraverse is coming back big in like 2021. <laughs> Heard it here. You guys did the yeah. long con. I we, get it. We have a secret subreddit that nobody knows about. <laughs> uh, what I'd like to talk about and, and touch on 
real quick with you, uh, one thing that we do here on the Ultra Monthly Podcast is we have uh, all these different segments based off of, well, the Ultra Monthly book uh, that you guys put out, uh, which, which is such a wonderful like world-building concept in there. And one of your segments is Ultra Bucks. And so we have an Ultra Bucks segment where we talk about our expanding collections and investments, if you would, into the, uh, the Ultraverse. <laughs> Um, lots of great things came out during the, those years with Malibu, uh, between the toys and posters, cards, uh, of course, all the different comics and variants, but what item of yours is your most prized Ultraverse possession that you still have? Cause when we met you at Comic-Con, <laughs> uh, 19, yeah. I remember you had on a prime enamel pin that, that you were rocking. And I still have, I still have one of those. Yeah. I still have one of those. And I finally got my hands on it because I didn't know these existed until I saw you with this on your lapel. I was like, I need to get one of those. <laughs> How can I find that? So yep. yeah, I'd love to toss it to you. Uh, what's your prized? It's hanging keepsake. on my wall. I can. See yeah. it. It's hanging on my wall. I can see it from here. Um, you remember the artwork that Dave Dorman painted, right, for that um, bus bench? The, and the, all those posters, the posters yeah. where it's them flying where, off like, from like a, a right, fiery Pro, where prime and electrocute and aerial and zip zap and Adam Bob. Yeah. It's like have the... prime high prime hard case and five of the strangers mm-hmm. are coming out of like this cosmic vagina kind of, yep. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I have it in front of me actually. <laughs> okay. Right here. Well, I can do you one better. I have the original Dave Dorman painting on my wall. Wow. That's awesome. That's yeah. So here, here's the wow. funny story about that. My, my, my buddy, Tom Mason said, well, I wonder whatever happened to that Dave Dorman painting. I, I don't <laughs> hear, hear anything about it. I wonder what happened. Um, and I said, you know, uh, I don't know. Let me, uh, let me poke around and see. So I've known Dave. I mean, obviously you've known Dave forever. Mm-hmm. So I called Dave up and I said, Dave, whatever happened to that, painting that you made that we made the bus bench stuff and all that original advertising out of he goes oh it's sitting right here you guys paid me for the reproductive rights and you paid me for the original painting i've been waiting for 15 years for somebody to tell me where to ship it (laughs) pick up the phone dave (laughs) and i and so right yeah exactly so so i said well you you can send it to me he says great beautiful (laughs) <laughs> done he goes, I will send it to you under one condition that I never see it on eBay very nice I Fair said enough. done deal very nice it's a beautiful piece so I, I, I I framed it and my wife I, I picked out the ugliest matte colors you've ever seen in your life <laughs> and my wife hates it but I mean doesn't I hate the artwork she hates the, the what I did with the framing it's like it's got like a um, it's got a brown uh, mat, and then a really thin, like navy blue mat, and then a yellow mat right before the art. Okay, I think it looks. I think I think it looks great, and it goes with my <laughs> office. But my wife was like, "Why did you make it that color?" <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful. She's she, she's not a comic book person, but that's that's my uh, prize. That's my that's for sure my prized um, possession. The other. Ultraverse thing I have on my wall is a sludge card from the original, the very first one, mm-hmm. signed by Steve. 
Very cool. Yeah. That's cool. That's nice. I know in the 90s, variants were key, right? <laughs> Everything needed to have a variant and special chase items, whether it was the comic books with like their hologram covers, the the cards with their special chase you know, sub-series sets in the back. Yep. Even the toys had the 504 line now, right? When they were supposed yeah. to be uh, 5,000, I believe. Well, and we we stuck trading cards, we bagged trading cards in with the comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think became the ultimate get for Ultraverse collectors uh, at that time? The hardest thing to get yet aside from like original art pieces and things like that of yeah, yeah 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 no it's a, it's something that was produced um i don't even know which one it was but it, probably the one that would be hardest to find and get would be the last of the gold hologram covers would be my thought because we only did hologram covers i don't even know if we did one for sludge we might have they I, might have even stopped before yeah, that. I don't. I don't think I've ever seen one of the hologram. I know that there was a five thousand on Sludge, but I, like, if if my research is anything, I mean, you'll obviously know better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm sure we did. <laughs> but, I'm sure we did yeah. gold. There I'm sure we strangers. did gold. I'm sure we gold. We did gold holograms for Prime, Arcades, and Strangers for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then like Freaks prototype. We we did we did Freaks and prototype. Exiles. I'm sure of that. I don't maybe know if we Manfred. did Exiles. That's a good question. That might have been where it ended. So maybe the Freaks gold or the prototype gold might be the mo- the hardest thing to find. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. And then there's the... If you, if we, we can always talk about the Rune Hero clicks if you want. That's always a party. Would love to, because I know... <laughs> yeah, we, we were kind of curious uh, about that. Here's mystery. the thing. Here's the thing. I know nothing. That's what Nobody we assumed. Nobody called me... <laughs> And somebody owes me 30, 35 cents. Because <laughs> that's all, that's all I, that's all I really know. Yeah, because just everything that that from what we understand of you know ownership rights and, and creator owned items, things like that, and obviously nothing's been touched in years. That all of a sudden a new item has come out that has got Ultraverse fans in an uproar, uh, uh, you know, clamoring for 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 glory, like wanting it, and that can't have just been like by happenstance and someone forgot, right? I think that's exactly what happened. I, I I think that somebody somewhere that doesn't know the history, that's got no institutional memory, said, held up Rune and goes, do we own this? And somebody said, yeah, we own that. And that was the whole discussion. Because <laughs> even, I mean, Chris Ohm, that, that's one of his created items. Like, has he ever, yep. like, shared anything with you about... That or was it a complete he surprise to him either. too? I it see, just showed I see, up. I see him every Friday. He and I we do a we do a Zoom call every Friday with me and Chris and Tom and the guy who was editing Ultra Monthly, the guy uh, Paul O'Connor. Nice. You really you really want to have a guy have have a cool perspective on all this? Talk to O'Connor. He's he's kind of amazing. Yeah. And he was he was he was the guy that was in charge of that's the guy we put in charge of certainly the early issues of uh, Ultra Monthly. We'd love that. I know Ultra Monthly. Yeah, we would ultimately... love to talk us up at the Zoom meeting. Yeah, because <laughs> he he could give you he could give you a, a bystander's view of what happened in the Ultraverse, like. But he's also really articulate, mm-hmm. so it wouldn't be like insider. It would be sort of like pseudo fan, 
but he was also like Chris's best friend. So there was like, and he, and he participated in the ultra, you know, monthly book. And so he's got, I think he would have some really interesting perspectives on all of it. How did ultra monthly come about? Like what what were the origins of that? Oh, that happened at the, at the, um, that happened at the, at the original conference of the two day day conference. We're like, okay, we've got this, we've got this world. How are we going to communicate that world to the fans? And they said, well, Marvel always had um, the Daily Bugle. I've always wondered why Marvel didn't like publish a version of the Daily Bugle that, like, even if it was just one sheet folded in half, but it would have all sorts of stories about what was going on in the world of Marvel from, you know, their perspective, yeah, their, that perspective, perspective, right? Yeah. But then we thought, well, we can't really do a newspaper because of logistical problems. We could make a little magazine and it wouldn't be cool if that magazine pretended that the Ultraverse was real and the fans could read basically the people magazine of the Ultraverse. Yeah. And we thought, yes, that's a very cool idea. We got to do that. Do you think people <laughs> will buy it? I don't know. Well, let's try it and find out. But so early on, the, one of the ways we sold it was, we would it would be half on editorial budget and half on the promo budget. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. it's basically a promo. I mean, at some level, it's a promotional item, mm-hmm. right? I always love seeing it getting incorporated back into the narratives. Where I think it's like Eden Blake's kids are fighting over a copy of Ultra Monthly about which <laughs> character they like more. Yeah, <laughs> how yeah. it always brought it back yeah. into no, it's it. That's awesome. Yeah. Hey, do you guys remember Ask Diane? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, she still lives here locally, and uh, I'm friends with her on Facebook. She's a, she's a real person. Diane's, Diane's an act, was an actual person in our marketing department. Yeah. And, and seeing that she's recently uh, come onto the, the Facebook page, the, the Facebook group. Yep. Yeah, the Facebook group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she joined the Facebook group. Um, you guys both have Netflix, right? Yep. Yeah. Did you see Animal Crackers? No. The animated, mm-hmm. the animated feature Animal Crackers that's been in the top – 10 on Netflix for a couple of weeks, two, three weeks. No. If you see it, it was produced by two Malibu alums, a a husband and wife team. Donna Saiba worked in our marketing department, and Scott was one of our staff artists for a while. Very nice. Malibu is everywhere. (laughs) Yep. We we just kept going. Nice. But I was very happy for them because they produced this thing with, I mean, it's got lots of great voices. Danny DeVito and John Krasinski and Emily Blunt and Sylvester Stallone did a voice. And yeah, it's a big, big production, but it sat on the shelf for two and a half years while, well, after it was done because they couldn't find anybody to, to buy it. It was weird. So, and then some, someone who will go unnamed took gave them a bunch of hope and basically put it on a shelf and didn't do anything with it so they had to wait for that contract to expire and yeah so hollywood's just like a bad version of comic books (laughs) 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 like all the horror stories you hear about what it's like to be in comics hollywood is that times 10 and then no wonder they've become like one industry now yeah there (laughs) you go each other yeah we're just gonna we're just gonna absorb it and make it even suck more yeah. yeah, pretty crazy evolution for sure. <laughs> well, Dave, thank you for this was fun, boys. Yeah, thank you for having the time to 
go through all of our silly questions for you. Uh, yeah, we really absolutely, appreciate absolutely. it. Absolutely, I, I, I hope I uh, hope the people who are listening, uh, you know, get get something out of it. Had had a, had a good time and enjoyed themselves. Yeah, I, I think you know the Ultraverse was just so amazing that you know for a three year span uh, in the nineties, it it really gave something to comic book fans and, and just lovers of fiction that was familiar uh, yet new and, and unique and enthralling stories. And I think that's why even today for it, it's something that can still be accessible to new readers to come in. And it's such a travesty in a way that we don't get to see reprints and, you know, Marvel not stepping up to bring the content out and re-showcase it again, especially with today's like, trade paperback market and everything um it it would be it would be so hard to do it because it was we did all that stuff just before the computers caught up with the with the right um amount of memory and stuff Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so the the files for the original artwork don't exist the coloring doesn't exist the film that we use to print the comics doesn't exist so if they were to reprint any of this stuff they would have to take the comics scan them, clean wow. them up, recolor them, and that's almost as expensive as actually doing a new comic. Right. Right. So, it's a problem. A major one. <laughs> yeah, without having yeah. a file well, to send it to the shop my, again. My, 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 my daughter had an internship at Marvel Studios um, man, years and years and years ago, but many years, a good number of years after Malibu ceased to exist, so there was a big chunk of time in there, but she said that she saw a warehouse with a whole bunch of stuff that they were still throwing away that they inherited from Malibu. <laughs> that would have been a pig and shit there. Yeah. Like, what, are we to, what are we supposed to do with all this film for these comics that we're not going to publish? You know, they're just taking up space. I guess they need to go in the garbage now. God, that's so sad. I heard. Um... You know, being a fan of the Ultra Force cartoon, uh, yep. a, b- a big thing I've always wanted to find was like an animation cell of it, like a prime flying through the sky or something. Right. Yeah, sure. And yeah. I talked to one of the vendors at Comic-Con that normally sells animation cells from, you know, uh, Batman and, and X-Men, yeah. all those things, all like those consolidation vendors. And they reported that all of that had been thrown out, that, wow, that they've they never seen cells. Uh, from Ultra Force, and there was one point when when uh, that that company was it Deke, I think it was like just it like was, yeah, Deke. just cleared out like old inventories of things, and I've never seen wow. one like not even just like an image. So wow, yeah. But you know what's you know what's gonna happen? You're gonna find out that some you know guy with Coke bottle glasses and 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 you know stains all over his shirt walked off with a bunch of that stuff just before it went to the end of the fire, right? Yeah. As long so as somebody he just, he has just got, it. <laughs> he just got one briefcase full of that shit and it's going to show up someday. <laughs> I'm waiting on bated breath. <laughs> waiting for well, the guys breath. that were the, basically the, the guys that were there to clean out Malibu offices when everybody vacated, they, you know, put they, they filled their cars up with stuff before they threw the rest of it in the trash. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I mean, as long yeah, as right. like, go, go long, to a you know, loving home or a loving yeah, storage sure. unit. Someone who appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. So before we go, Dave, I'd love to yep. uh, 
throw it to you. Uh, I know you're working on something a little new that maybe people can look forward to here in the future. Yeah, um, I've been in- invited to create a pilot for a YouTube show that is, at least now, for now, called The Duo Show. Um, for those people that are outside of my circle of friends, um, that is the nickname that they've all christened me with because those are my initials, David W. Ulbrich, and they just pronounce it like it's a word. So okay. I'm I'm creating this thing called The Duo Show, <laughs> and I'm going to have... I wanted to call it Dave Albrecht and his amazing friends, but I, I'm afraid I would get some sort of cease and desist letter, right? <laughs> but uh, the idea, yeah, the idea is to have um, a rotating um, bag or bag, a rotating roster of regulars, and then also have a special guest. Mm-hmm. So you can okay. depend on me always be there, and then one of my weirdo regular friends, and then one of my special friends, and we're all going to just talk about stuff so that's the goal we're gonna try to keep it to about a half hour so you don't you can fit it into your day easily and um we'll see how it goes but um i'm really excited about it um i still have to figure out some of the technology but uh the the original pilot's done and it's off to um some of the people that are going to decide whether they're going to air it on their channel or not so i don't i don't really honestly god expect the pilot to air but if I can just get a green light that says, yes, if you'll produce them and they look kind of like this, we'll put them on YouTube and then we'll figure out the money after. I'm like, great, beautiful. Right. Do, like, and you guys cover like, all like kinds of... I like talking to Jeff and I think, it, I, I think I've got interesting... I hope I've got interesting and entertaining things to say and talk about with my friends. I, I would yeah. imagine so. Yeah. Yeah. You're an you're a, you're a easy interview, so to say. Thank- well, yeah, thank you very much. It's very Appreciate natural, and, and you obviously know a lot <laughs> about the subject. Well, the worst thing is I'm willing to tell people a lot of shit that, you know, whatever. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly willing to share, um, and I give good phone, so, you know. Yeah. What, sure. what kind of topics are you guys uh, approaching, like, in the pilot, the, per se? The, pi- about, the like... pilot is about the life of a comic book writer that tries to transition to a animation writer. Ah, like how those how those steps work, how you approach the world, how do you you know how do you get from one step to the next? What step? What what things do you try to avoid? That kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And cool. and we you know then we tell some jokes and stuff. So, I mean, it's just you know it's just guys sitting around talking. But um, the first one really is about um, anim- is talking to a couple of animation writers that used to also r- write comic books. One of them is Tom Mason, the guy that writes uh, Dinosaurs Fire. So. Yeah, that was awesome. And I know Tom's been working in a lot of um, what animation, yep. and so forth, right? Uh, yep. Bat Pat. Yeah, no, he's he's worked, on, he's worked on a lot of stuff. I think he's got an Emmy or two um, over his years when he since he transitioned from comics into writing animation. Yeah. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> Again. So yeah, look for it. I mean, I, I I don't think it's anytime soon, but you know if you. If you're listening to this, you know, sometime after September 2020, you know, check out YouTube and see if they're in search for the Duo Show and see if there's something there. Duo Show, the D-W-O Show. That's it. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. I'll cool. check it out. You got to sub for me. I like, yeah. I like to hear that. We got, we got two viewers already. Yay! <laughs> 
Dave, thank you so much again. Really, uh, it, it's been an honor having you on. Had an absolutely lovely time. And we will take you up on an hour of exiles in the future. If... Oh, absolutely. yeah. That would, that, would, that would be lots of fun. All right. It's a guys. verbal contract. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll see you next time. Thank you very much. All right. Bye, Dave. Right. Cheers. Bye. Again, what an absolute honor this has been for the Ultra Monthly Podcast to sit down with Mr. Dave Ulbrich and talk about his career at Malibu Comics and working on the Ultraverse. Thank you once again. And so, listeners, don't hesitate to be featured on our Slings and Arrows portion of the podcast and send an email to us here at ultramonthlypodcast at gmail.com and give us your thoughts on our sit-down with Dave or any other elements of the Ultraverse. And if you have not already, make sure to jump on now and subscribe to the Ultra Monthly Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podcast Republic, and Stitcher Radio for all past and future episodes. Until next time, let's force it.